All right, well, good morning. It's good to see all of you again, and I hope you had a happy Independence Day. As John said, we've got about 19, well, not about, we have 19 people that are uh, on their way to the Dominican Republic, so keep them in your prayers this week. If you've got a Bible, let me invite you to grab it and make your way to where Christy was just reading from, the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. It seems like it's been a minute since I've been uh, up here over the last couple of weeks with VBS and with camp, and so I just want to kind of recap a little bit just to make sure we're all on the same page as we dive back into 2 Timothy. And so the book of 2 Timothy, just to remind you, is written by the Apostle Paul. And it's his last letter that he ever wrote. He is a couple of months before, uh, it's written a couple months before he was executed under Emperor Nero. So he is writing from death row. He knows his death is coming. We'll see that uh, in the next two weeks. He knows it's coming. And so he writes this letter to Timothy, who's a protege of his. He's, you know, someone he's poured into, he's mentored. And Timothy is the lead pastor, the senior pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so he writes this letter to him, and it's got some specific things for Timothy, but it's also for the congregation overall and the churches that the letter will be circulated to. And in it, throughout the whole entirety of what we've talked about, is he's kind of laying out like the picture of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, what it looks like to follow Christ, to be a good disciple, a good worker, one who is approved. And so that's kind of how we've approached this the whole time, this idea of a good disciple, what does that look like? And so we've approached it by talking about job descriptions. So with a job description, they tell you, hey, here, here's your, you know, overall, like, what you're to do. And then if, you, if you've ever seen one, you know, expectations include, and it's got this whole list. And so very much this book is kind of like, here's what a good disciple is. Expectations include this and this and this and this and this. And that's how we've walked our way through the book. As we come to chapter 4, we're going to have Paul do kind of two things simultaneously. He's going to narrow this job description for a minute and talk specifically about elders. And in particular, really probably about a senior pastor, a lead pastor, uh, as Timothy is. Talk specifically like, what is that person's main function, main goal? But at the same time, he does not leave you know, from talking about just the overall, like, what you need as a good disciple, what you, what is essential for you, what is vital for you. So he does both of these things simultaneously. And so let me, let's just go ahead and and, and read verse one, at least, of of what Christy just read, just kind of enter into this and start looking at this dual teaching for both the senior pastor and a good disciple. So Look at verse 1 at me. I think we miss the force behind verse 1 a lot of times. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, so He's saying, here's this huge charge, so I don't need a show of hands. But if you have ever testified in a courtroom before a judge and you make the vow to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, you know how perhaps kind of uh, daunting and how intimidating that statement is to make. It is a very solemn promise that you are making as you enter into that moment. And Paul's language here reflects almost the idea of an ancient subpoena. 
The idea here, you could almost think, you know, like in effect, Paul is calling Timothy to enter into the Supreme Court of Heaven and to stand before the judge to receive a solemn charge. So we need to feel the force of this. This is a heavy, like Paul could not have laid down a more forceful, like calling of attention. I'm about to give you, I'm about to charge you with something heavy, heavy, heavy on Timothy. What is this huge charge here? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So the charge here is to preach the word. This is, I mean, this, remember, this is Paul's final word. Final things he's writing to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, senior pastor, whatever you do, above all things, I charge you by God, the judge, who's appearing his kingdom, to do this, to preach the word. Like, that's my main job. So part of this morning is going to be me telling you, like, my job. But first, I want to make sure, before we get into my side of things, first, I want to make sure that you understand the, the inverse of this. Like, if Paul's dying, you know, words, his dying breath to Timothy and to lead pastors is to preach the word, that means that Paul's dying desire for congregations, and for you in particular, is to hear the word ongoingly. Why? Because pastoral preaching is essential for the good disciple. And that's going to be number one in your notes. So I want you to write that down. Pastoral preaching is essential for a good disciple. Like you need me to do it. Or John or Chad or anyone who stands in this place. Or if you ever go to another church somewhere. You need that person to do it. And you need to receive it. And I want to take those kind of what I just said in reverse order. And deal first with with your side of it. Receiving it. And just give you some practical steps. Because, I mean, just to be straight honest with you. You will not cannot, impossible to, continue on as a good disciple outside of the weekly sitting underneath the preaching of God's Word in the context of a local church. Turn every page of Scripture and you will see that that is true. I mean, look at verse 2 again. Preach the Word. I'll just show it to you. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul's saying that will happen unless, Timothy, you preach the word and thereby they they hear the word. 
all right, unless you are sitting underneath the preached word. And so very practically, number one, underneath pastoral preaching is uh, essential for a good disciple. And your side of this, all right, you receiving this underneath that kind of heading, and we'll talk about my stuff in a minute. But for you, number one, you need to receive the preached word weekly in the context of a local church with a Bible preaching pastor. That's really long, so just write this. Number one, join a church and listen to the pastor. Join a church and listen to the pastor. And see, the preaching of the word, both, I mean, you can go Old Testament, New Testament, across, it's, it's the central, most important, most basic, ongoing aspect of Christianity. It is what the early disciples did. They gathered together, they broke bread, and they listened to the apostles' teaching. The most fundamental, most basic thing is that aspect of Christianity. It is one of God's appointed, ordinary means of grace in a Christian's life. All right? It's not like a, a package deal. Like when you go buy a car, you can get this optional package added on to your car. No, no, this is just baseline model. This is like sitting under the preaching of God's word. This is basic. The church is to gather, to read the word, sing the word, pray the word, hear the word, preach, and see the word through baptism. And this morning we'll see it through the Lord's Supper. That's why, verse 1, the most solemn exhortation in all of the Bible precedes this command to preach the word. This is the most forceful, solemn charge in the Bible. God has created and chosen preaching as his central means of proclaiming his word. Lots of other ways are important. This is essential. But specifically essential is weekly pastoral preaching of the word. Because it's possible to get online and listen to sermons that are way better than this one. Or me at my best. Way better. And those are good. I do that. I listen to sermons. But they're supplemental. They're not a replacement for God's standard pattern across Scripture is for the church to gather together. That's what church means. Ecclesia, it means assembly. We are to assemble together and sit under His Word together. See, I think sometimes maybe our American culture has seeped in. Not some, It does. It seeps into um, Christ, our, what, what the Bible calls us to. And so what seeps in is this hyper-individualism. And so sometimes we will approach sermons as a me and God thing. When it's not that. I mean, there's aspects of that, certainly. But it's also us sitting under the Word of God together. It's a us and God thing. Not just a me and God thing. It's God shaping us together. We listen together. We're all hearing this together right now. And we hold one another accountable. Like, I've heard the sermon. I mean, pretend I'm not preaching the sermon for a minute. I'm just, I've heard the sermon. You've heard the sermon. You know that I've heard the sermon. I know that you've heard the sermon. And so we can hold each other accountable to live that out. 
And this is assuming, as I'm going to talk about in a minute, that I'm talking about, I'm preaching the word of God, not just my own ideas. And so you should expect me to live this out. I should expect you to live this out. And so we help one another on. This is that stirring one another up. Hebrews 10. When you look at Hebrews 10, it says, let us do this together. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us, plural, consider how to stir one another up in love and good works. All right, Christianity is not a collection of isolationists. There's a corporate nature to all of this. We're a flock. We're a body. We need one another. And you need to hear God's word from your pastors who know you and have been given charge over you. Because the truth of the matter is every single one of us in here is flawed. Including me. Okay, We're all sinners. Every single one of us. And the terrible thing about this fallen nature that we all have and that we all live out is that we are greedy to justify our own sins. We, we want to figure out some kind of way that we can defend ourselves from God's charges. But that just highlights how desperately we need to hear God's word brought to us honestly, so that we, and listen closely here, so that we don't just hear what we want to hear, but we hear what God has said. And that's my job. My job is to preach it. Your job is to receive it. And so number one, join a church and listen to the pastor. Number two, as you do that, expect God to speak. Right? As you're approaching a sermon, expect God to speak. When you're approaching a sermon in the context of a local church, with a, with a man who's going to preach God's word. Like when you're listening to a sermon, yet you are right now, I have these things called vocal cords, right? You are hearing the sound of my voice. Bless your hearts, I'm sorry, but you are hearing the sound of my voice, right? Yet, at the same time, these sound waves that are coming out of my vocal cords, if I am preaching the Bible, then you are actually listening to the Word of God. That's what's happening insofar as I'm preaching the Bible. If anyone speaks, Peter writes about Bible teaching in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And therefore, friends, turning us around, if anyone listens to a faithful sermon, he should do it as hearing the very words of God. So if you have a high view of the Bible, which I think everyone in here would probably say, yep, I believe the Bible is God's word, is inerrant, is God-breathed, is infallible, it's profitable. We would quote, we would quote 2 Timothy 3.16. I think we would all do that. If you have a high view of the Bible, you should have a high view of biblical preaching. I mean, let's just look, go up just a few lines in your Bible to chapter 3, verse 16. If we did not have chapters and verses in our Bible, we would never disconnect these things. So I want to put them back together for you real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, a good disciple, right, may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, 
preach the word. What word? That God-breathed word he just talked about. Be ready in season and out of season and do what? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This goes together. And so it is the word that I am to preach and it is the word that you are to receive. And so that's why we preach primarily here expositionally. Okay, expository sermons. What does that mean? It means we go verse by verse through books of the Bible seeking to expose what the Bible says. All of it. And so typically we'll preach an Old Testament book, New Testament book, Old Testament book, New Testament book. All right, because all of it is the God's word and all of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so that's why we primarily do expository sermons versus topical sermons. Because topical sermons, the way they typically work is they rely really heavily on the preacher. The preacher comes up with some topic he wants to talk about. And typically, he knows what he wants to say about that. Now, there's a place for that. I'm not saying that there's not. But it's not to be the bread and butter. Like, for example, we did a beach camp, student camp, two weeks ago. All right? Every, I preached there four nights. Every night was a topical sermon. Now, it was driven by Scripture, but I knew what I wanted to say to the students really before I went in there, before I started studying. I knew I wanted to cover this, and 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 it was all good. Students need to hear those things. There's times where we do topical sermons in here. Marriage, what is the church, uh, I mean, you can flip through our sermon guide and you can see some of those. Where we go through those things, topically. But that's not to be the bread and butter. Because what happens when I do an expositional sermon, and you can ask Chad or John about this, is when I start studying it, I will come out throughout the week three or four times probably, and be like, you're not going to believe what, like, what I found in here. There's, there's so much more than what I set out. It changes, it, it opens up, there's... And so it's not me coming to the Bible with my ideas. It's the Bible infecting my brain and my heart with what God's word is. And then I come in here and herald. That's what preach means. Carrick's in the Greek. I herald that to you. And so expositional preaching is preaching. That is, this is a good definition, in service to the word. It's preaching in such a way that the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon. So I'm exposing God's word to you, which means pretty much every week my goal is to just take you for a swim in the Bible. That's what I want to do. Because it's all God-breathed. It's all profitable for reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And so it's the word that's my authority, not my position. Do you understand that? I mean, I have authority based upon my position according to Hebrews 13, but it's the word that gives that. And it's the word that I'm to herald because it is God's word. And so number one, join a church and listen to the pastor. These are those sub points. Number two, as you do so, expect God to speak if the pastor is preaching scripture. And then number three, still talking about receiving God's word because it's essential for being a good disciple. Number three, gather with the church week by week. 
Remember, they're gathered with the church week by week. Again, we, we breathe this idea of anti-commitment. We breathe anti-authority. Uh, we breathe hyper-individualism. And so breathing that air, it's easy to drift in and out of church, sitting on the edge as spectators. But the commitment to consistently gather with your covenant family is vital. I mean, Hebrews 10, I mean, it's a command. Verse 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so it's vital that we do that. It's essential that we do that. And part of the reason is because God doesn't just give us quick fixes that come from hearing one or two Sunday sermons. He shapes and He molds our minds and our hearts and our characters over time through the steady drip, 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 drip of God's Word. And so we need to hear Christ proclaim again and again and again His life perfect life in the place of our imperfect life, his undeserved death in the place of our deserved death for our sin, his resurrection and victory and glory over sin and death that sets us free, his coming again when all things that have gone wrong will be made right and everything's perfect, new heavens, new earth, we are with God. As Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1, verse 12, I will always remind you of these things even though you know them. So much of Christianity is just being reminded because we are prone to spiritual amnesia. And so you've got to be here for that. The first step in discipleship is to show up. Both for your own good and the good of those around you. All right, and then number four, as you're receiving it, Pray. Like during the week, pray for whoever's going to be preaching that week. Pray for yourself. Pray for those who will also hear God's word. Come to the sermon physically and mentally fresh and attentive as possibly as, as much as you can. That's why, like my family, we don't do a whole lot on Saturday nights. Because we don't want to walk in here dead. We don't want to walk in here sleepy. We don't want to walk in here... Because God's word is going to be declared. It's the most important hour of the week. So why would I approach the most? I, I don't approach a race tired. How, what, back when I ran races for real. So why would I walk in here tired for the most important hour of the week? So that means Saturday nights we're going to go to bed. We're not going to be out late doing stuff. On the whole, there's going to be exceptions, obviously. But pray and then come in here and quiet your mind and your heart. And expect God to speak. I mean, the mere fact that Christy read the Bible a minute ago, God has spoken. No mixture of even what I say. 100% God has spoken. And so pastoral preaching, those words in particular, pastor preaching, is essential for the good disciple. And so that's the you-need-to-receive-it side of the equation. All right, but now let's swing to, to my side and any preacher, any pastor's side. The Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, they were not given a command 
to go and speak whatever, they were given a particular message to deliver. And so likewise, today, Christian preachers do not have authority to speak from God on their own. They do so only as long as they speak His message and unfold His words. And so we're not commanded to simply go and preach. We're commanded to go and preach the Word. His Word. And to do so faithfully. And so on my side of things, the first thing you need from me is to preach the Word faithfully. So you want to write that down. Preach the Word faithfully. And again, that's why we primarily do expositional sermons. So the sermon's not controlled by my mind going to the Bible and trying to find some proof text to, to prove what I already want to say. But I come to it, I read it, I try to understand it in its context and expose what's there and tell you what's there. That's why we were, we were joking, uh, Bart, I'm going to pick on you. We were joking last night at a uh, Fort Independence Day celebration fireworks deal, Bart likes to get the sermon guide and, and guess what I'm going to say. Okay? Truthfully, you almost always should be able to guess what I'm going to say because my outline should be the Bible. Now, he'll put in probably for... What did you write for number one today? It's probably like eat a sandwich for the good disciple or something. You know, he'll just put something random in there. But truthfully, you should be able to guess what my outline is going to be because it should be controlled by Scripture. Or at least you should be able to see it as I start explaining it. It's not my ideas. I should be exposing what God has already written there. And so you need me to be faithful to preaching. And so that means if I or an elder ever stops being faithful to preach God's word, you need to fire us. But if we are preaching faithfully God's word, you need to follow us. And so number one, like for me, I need to preach faithfully. Number two, pastors are to preach consistently. Right? Number two, pastors are to preach consistently. Notice there verse two, it says... In season and out of season. Basically when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. When we're affirmed and loved and when we're not. All right? When we are criticized and put down. Regardless, a pastor's job is to preach the word. And so I don't, I don't have an option. Like when I, It's not when I feel like it or when I feel psychologically, spiritually ready. Sunday's coming every week. And I have this charge on me. John, Chad, your elders, other pastors in other churches have this charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. And so I must do so faithfully. And I must do so consistently. And thirdly, I must do so pastorally. Look at the end of verse 2 there. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. All three of these are to make up my preaching, John's preaching, Chad's preaching, whoever's preaching. All three of these are to make up part of that as well as just pastoring in general. And they may not all be fun, but they are all necessary. And so reproof and rebuke means that I'm called to show you where you're wrong on Scripture. 
Opinions are opinions. But where, so I want to be very careful to never bind someone's conscience on things that are not spelled out specifically in Scripture. We can differ even, even in a context of, of we believe this same thing, all right, because it's clear in Scripture, but how we achieve that thing can be very different. We will draw jagged lines for, you know, I make a biblical argument to get to that, and it's a jagged line to get there, but someone could also make a biblical argument for something completely different than that based on Scripture, a jagged line. What we agree on is the biblical principle. And so we want to be careful not to bind one another's consciences, not look down on one another on things that aren't spelled out in Scripture, but our opinions or uh, opinions about how to accomplish this thing. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? When I, do I need try to sp- drill down a little further with that? Yes or no? I, I'm, I'm going to... Good? And so there's going to, opinions are opinions. But where we may be out of line biblically, even maybe the opinion, it's an opinion, but how you hold that opinion. That's where, Pastor, even just one another, we speak into one another's life. I'm like, hey, that's a little harsh. That's a little, I don't know. Have you thought about this? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading you wrong. So we ask questions. We don't assume and accuse. We ask questions and try to understand. There's this call at times to reprove, to rebuke for your good, for the good of those around you and the evangelization of the world. And so this means that I and the elders, we can't be people pleasers or popularity seekers. It also means that we can't have some sort of sinful interior joy of setting others straight. Kent Hughes, uh, I think he would nails it. He says, if you enjoy reproving and rebuking, you're likely not fit for the ministry. But if you do not do it, you are a shirker. This is part of preaching pastorally, reproving and rebuking. But most of all, preaching pastorally requires the third imperative of this little triumvirate. That the elders exhort with complete patience and teaching. Exhort with complete patience and teaching. Like part of my job is just to come alongside you as a coach, encouraging you, like just like you would, you know, if you're a football coach, good job, good catch, way to stick them, you know, good hit, get lower, good job. Just encouraging and coaching, just encouraging and coaching. It's exhorting. And let me just apply this a bit more broadly to all of us in here who are teachers, who are disciples, who are parents. It says exhorting with complete patience. Teaching, discipling, preaching, all that it requires immense patience because you will rarely see quick results to your ministry. Sanctification, all right, which is just a big word that means growing in Christ-likeness. And that is a slow process. Oftentimes, really slow. And it's easy to grow discouraged 
when you don't see immediate results for your efforts, or from my sermons, or from your teaching, or from your parenting, you don't see this, and it's easy to grow discouraged. But friends, let me do some encouraging even right now, just as I keep in mind with preaching in a long-term view of sanctification, there's a cumulative effect in your parenting and in your teaching and in your discipling and in preaching. It may take a long time, but with patient biblical teaching, you will see some progress. And so teachers and parents and disciples, hang in there. Okay, Keep going, keep discipling, keep teaching. There's a cumulative effect of God's Word. And even when the results are super slow, hang in there. And celebrate even small progress. I mean, maybe someone was here. You want to see them get here. But man, they're here now. Celebrate that. Yeah, we got work to do. But don't cast again. Why aren't you here already? Praise them. Exhort them. Encourage them. Good job. You've come this far. Let's keep going. There's a cumulative effect to it. And so encourage with all patience. That's how you're to teach. That's how you're to parent. That's how you're to disciple. That's how I am to preach. And I'm to do so because the Apostle Paul is highlighting that is essential for you as a disciple of Christ. Again, quite simply, verse 3 and 4 lay out. You will not keep walking as a Christian in increasing sanctification and perseverance without sitting under biblical teaching. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound, literally healthy, <clears throat> sound means healthy, teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Like what they already believe. Just tell me what I believe because I, I want to feel good. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Again, we're always looking for ways to justify ourselves. And so what we'll do left to ourselves is just stop listening to God's truth. And we'll surround ourselves with people who will tell us what they want to hear. You see this a lot of times. We'll pick on prosperity theology. You know, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Believe God enough and He'll heal your body. Believe God enough and He'll give you all the money you want. Believe God enough and He'll make sure your children never have anything go wrong or difficult in their lives. That's the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. And it's a, it's a lie. It's farce. If that's the case, then Jesus must not have been much of a believer. Paul must not have been much of a believer. But a lot of times, we'll do this politically as well, which is just another form of the prosperity gospel. In whatever side of the, the aisle you may be on, right or left. Do this and God's going to do this. Do this and God's going to do this. We'll surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. And we'll turn away from the truth and wander off into myths or conspiracy theories. But the answer to this is just God's ordinary means of grace. He just preaches. I mean, it's just the word. It's this moment. It's this gathering. It's week after week after week after week after week after week. And letting God's word wash us together. 
Let it change us together. Submitting to his word. And thus changing our opinions. Changing our beliefs. If they are contrary to the word. It's our authority. So if we have something. We come to the word and we see. I'm wrong. Well then it's not try to change this. It's change us. All, that's We submit to the word. That is our job as a good disciple. It's God's word. It's God's it's God breathed. And so with all the might that he can, Paul, with that charge, he's calling me to preach the word to you and thus for you to listen. Because pastoral preaching is essential for the ongoing growth of the good disciple. All right. All of that was under number one in your notes. Didn't get all right. All of that. Now, super quickly. Number two in your notes. Pastoral stability is vital for a good disciple. All right. So if number one, pastoral preaching is essential for a good disciple. Number two, pastoral stability is vital for a good disciple. And by stability, I'm not talking just about like pastors, you know, staying at one place for a long time, not going to a different church and whatnot. That is important. Okay. Absolutely. Too many pastors use churches as stepping stones to a bigger and bigger and bigger church and a bigger, bigger, bigger paycheck, all right? And there's times to move to another church, absolutely. But I think a lot of times that is abused. I think you should just hunker down in one place, stay there, watch babies be born, marry them, bury their parents, and minister over the long haul. As part of the covenant community, knowing one another, not just, you know, being some hireling who's outside of the flock, being a part of it. But I'm not talking about that is important, but that's not the stability that we see here in verse five. What we see here in verse five is just just keeping on, just keep going, not not losing your head, just doing your job. Look at verse five. As for you. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Sober-minded, like this idea of just keeping your head. It's literally like a, a commercial pilot. When everything's going crazy, the plane's going down, like you think about Sully and, you know, crashing into, uh, putting it down in, in, in the river in New York. Like, he just, in the Hudson... He kept his mind while everyone else is going crazy. It's just, you don't lose your mind. You keep your head. You stay sober-minded. Stability must characterize your elders in an upside-down world. Enduring hardships. This is a recurrent theme in this book, in all the epistles. You will endure hardships. Like no one will ever be able to say triumphantly with Paul... I have fought the good fight if they did not endure hardship. Christians who desire to obey Christ will inevitably face hardship. This is true of me. He's talking you know, specifically to pastors here. This is true of me. This is true of you as well. And yet, even as I was telling my parents this week about something that they're facing in their own life, when we come to these things, let them not drive us to despair, but prayer. Like that, that's part of what God's wanted. Pray about it. 
And he says, work of an evangelist. Like the good news is constantly to be on my lips, but this is not something for pastors only. It's clear from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all the nations that's given to everybody. Second Corinthians 5, you're to be ambassadors for Christ as God making his appeal through you. Be reconciled to God. This isn't just for pastors, but it is my job as well. And then just fulfill your ministry. Like John, Chad, me, Jeff, Jeff, Steve, we're not to shun any of our pastoral responsibilities. This is what you need of us, but this is also, I mean, all four of these things elsewhere in Scripture are called to you, are commanded to you to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So earlier I was talking about how I do listen to sermons at times. And one of my favorite guys to listen to is a guy named Alistair Begg. He's a pastor in Cleveland. Um, He's got the greatest accent ever. I promise if I had his accent, you would automatically think I was so much smarter. (laughs) But I love to listen to Alistair Begg. Anyhow, years ago he was meeting with a number of pastors and he was just talking to them about some things and he quoted verse 5 here to them and he said increasingly I find that verse to be the anchor point for all my days. I wake up on a Monday and say well what will I do now? And then I say well I think I'll try to keep my head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of my ministry. And when I'm lifted up by a little bit of encouragement, which sometimes come, I say to myself, well, what should I do? The answer is to keep your head, endure hardship, and so on. And he paused, and then he went on. And when the waves beat on me, and I feel just like running away to the hills somewhere, what should I do? Well, Alistair, just keep your head, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then he concluded by saying, so that's a word in season for us to take away and think of. And so it is, folks, for all of us. What are we to do? Keep our heads. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill our ministry. Knowing that week by week by week, the drip, 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 drip of God's word will change us. But you've got to get yourself under the faucet so that it can drip on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that there is a cumulative effect to your word. Thank you that it is powerful. Because it is your word, you breathed it out. Just as you breathe life into dead bones, you breathe life into Adam and Eve. Life is breathed into us through your word. And so help us to not hold our breath, but to breathe deep and breathe in. And Father, thank you for the forgiveness that you give to us. And we can know you and we know you through your word where it tells us of what Christ has done for us. As we come to celebrate this, being reminded of what Christ has done, is doing, and will do.
that after living a perfect life, he willingly laid down that life on the cross, taking our place and paying the penalty for our sins. What we deserved, he got. And now, what he deserves, we're given. We're given that perfection that he lived. It's given to us by faith when we trust in him. And so, Father, I just pray for anyone in this room who may not have ever trusted you as Christ, as Savior, never trusted in Christ as Savior. That you would stir in their hearts now. You are the one who saves. And you would draw them to yourself in power. You would bother them with the gospel until they respond. You would bother them with conviction in their heart. Maybe it's not even a salvation thing. It's just someone struggling with something. There's a sin in their life. You would bother them with that until they repent. And that you would remind us that you forgive. That you are gracious and kind. That you laid down your life when we were yet your enemies. Jesus, you did this. And so we praise you and celebrate it even now. In Jesus' name, amen.